Welcome to Traveling Taste Buds, a journey to eat our way across the world one dish at a time. Each episode, I dive into the history and culture surrounding a recipe, the food science behind it, and the ecology of the landscape which influenced the ingredients used. My name is Zoe Koglisher, and this is a special episode for Asparagus. This week, I thought I'd shake things up, and instead of picking a recipe, we'd cover only an ingredient. Asparagus is a perennial crop that is related on a family level to onions and has 300 species in its genus, Asparagaceae. I hope I said that right. Asparagus species can be found from Siberia to South Africa, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and that's a direct quote. The species we eat is Asparagus officinalis, also known as garden asparagus, and this is the topic for this week's episode. We know asparagus as green spears that kind of look like flower stems with little florets at the top. But many species are also known to be climbers. They grow fern-like branchlets with small leaves, red berries, and a hallmark of the genus are cladodes, which are organs on the axles of the leaves. Yeah, I couldn't tell what that was either, and I spent a hot minute looking at cladodes on Google. They kind of look like thick veins in the middle of the leaves. For garden asparagus, the kind we eat, most varieties are dioecious, which means that there is a differentiation between male and female plants. Males have fewer flowers and don't produce the red berries that females do. In commercial production, genetic male clones are often used. Garden asparagus is grown in temperate and subtropical areas mostly, and there are several subgenera in Africa, though this is a matter of debate over whether it is actually necessary to divide it into subgenera. White asparagus is considered a delicacy and is created by inhibiting chlorophyll development, usually through growing the crop underground. Some poisonous species are actually used in floral arrangements because of their prized foliage. You might have heard of florist's fern being used in things like corsages, and sprenger's fern, African asparagus fern, and asparagus fern are all commonly grown ornamentals. Two species from the Canary Islands are listed as endangered, A. phallux and A. nesiotes, and two as vulnerable, A. arborensis and A. plocomoides due to habitat fragmentation. In addition, A. chiosanus from Japan, A. secocleonesis from South Africa, and A. usambarensis of Tanzania are also listed as endangered, and Spanish species, A. macarizis is critically endangered. While in most vegetables, the smaller and thinner tend to be the most tender, in asparagus, the thick stalks are best. This is because of the ratio of tender flesh to skin. Asparagus is also very nutritionally valuable as it produces folic acid, vitamins A, C, B6, riboflavin, and thiamine, as well as iron. Asparagus is also low in calories and sodium, is fat and carbohydrate free, and produces the amino acid asparagine. So the English word for asparagus came from the classical Latin word, but in medieval times, the English word was asparagus, spelled with an E, or aspergi, which comes from the medieval Latin asparagus, which is itself believed to be derived from the Greek asparagos or asparagos. Some think the Greek word came from the Persian asparag, which means sprout or shoot. In some areas, such as Texas, the word has been changed to sparrowgrass, aspergrass, aspergrass, and in fruit production circles, asparagus is sometimes called sparrow guts, which I just thought was kind of neat. Asparagus as a crop has been grown since Roman times, 
although early variations were likely closer to wild asparagus, so really tall and thin, uh, rather than the garden asparagus we eat today. Apicius is Dire Cuquinaria from the third century CE, widely regarded as one of the oldest cookbooks in known history, includes a recipe calling for asparagus, so we know that it was definitely eaten around that time. Supposedly, Caesar Augustus used to say, and I'm probably going to butcher the Latin on this, Losias quam asparagi uh, coquantur, or faster than cooking asparagus, when he wanted you to go faster or to get going on something. And because asparagus was so beloved, he had fleets that traveled to pick up special varieties, and then they'd pass them to the fastest runners, who then rushed them to the Alps where they could be frozen for later use. The plant became popular during the 16th century in France and England, where it was called the food of kings and grown in greenhouses. Historians believe that settlers brought asparagus to the Americas, and there are several heirloom varieties of asparagus officinalis. Just a quick side note about what an heirloom is, you might have heard that before in reference to tomatoes or other kinds of produce at your local farmer's market. In order to be considered an heirloom species, the variety must be at least 50 years old around there, and a lot of them usually date back to before World War II. Thomas Jefferson grew asparagus in the garden at Monticello, and there are several heirloom varieties made for people from the colonial area, such as Martha and George Washington. Asparagus was also thought to cure a number of ailments from toothaches, heart problems, and bee stings uh, to being used as a diuretic. All right, I'm really hungry after listening to all of that. Let's take a short break. best way to grow asparagus and some popular ways to cook it. Garden asparagus likes deep, loose, light clays or light sandy loams with lots of organic matter in them. They can also handle more salinity or salt in the soil than a lot of other crops. However, they are sensitive to acidity with their preferred range being between 6.5 and 7.5 on the pH scale. And if your soil is more acidic than that, you can always add a little limestone to balance it out. Cold, wet soils should be avoided because asparagus is susceptible to Fusarium crown rot disease. And while asparagus can be grown from seeds, it is much more common for the crop to be cultivated from crowns, which are older roots or rhizomes. Asparagus can be planted after the soil temperature has reached 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And rows should be kept about five feet apart to promote air circulation and prevent the spread of disease from nearby infected foliage. Prominent diseases include asparagus rust, Fusarium crown and root rot. Rust affects fern development and growth, while Fusarium lives in the soil and attacks the crown and roots. Also watch out for cutworm, asparagus beetles, and European asparagus aphids. Cutworms eat one side of the spear at night, where, whereas uh, beetles will lay eggs on the spears and eat the ferns, causing dieback. And then aphids usually eat ferns and inject toxins into the plant, all of which makes them inedible and unable to go to the market. Depending on location, the harvesting season for asparagus can last from two to 12 weeks, uh, when spears are usually about five to nine inches in height. Asparagus is harvested by snapping, which breaks off the edible portion right where the stems become fibrous. This is known as an all usable product because after you've harvested it, you can eat the whole asparagus stalk. 
potting below the soil adds weight to the harvest, uh, but it includes sections that become too fibrous to be enjoyably eaten. You still can eat them, they're just not all that fun to eat. In some states, though, asparagus is cut below the soil because the fiber in the lower third of the stem helps retain water, although this can damage new crowns from sprouting. Because harvesting is such a labor-intensive endeavor, for small-scale operations, asparagus is a direct market item that goes from the farm to roadside stands or farmer's markets, because wholesale is just not profitable enough to do with all the packaging and processing it requires. Uh, small-scale farms uh, often use asparagus for crop rotations because they can be harvested earlier in the season. Um, and larger commercial farms usually sell wholesale. A study from Michigan found that 22 to 23 pickings per season could be possible, depending on the region that you lived in. And in 2019, the United States harvested 20,700 acres of asparagus, which is a huge number. But this is a third of what it used to be due to increased importation from countries in Central and South America. When you're purchasing asparagus, take a look at the ends. Most asparagus is sold in bunches and the freshest will have flat ends. Asparagus that has been at the market a while will have dried out concave ends and longer stalks tend to be woodier. So you wanna look for asparagus that's about six inches or so in length. That ensures that it's still pliable and will therefore be a little bit more tender. Uh, you should also look for tight florets at the top of the spear because the tighter the florets are, the more tender the stalk will be. Whereas if you have florets that are kind of loose, that's a sign that the stalk will be more fibrous and has been there longer. Asparagus is often roasted in ovens or blanched, a process where fresh asparagus spears are dunked in boiling salty water for a few minutes before being placed in cool or cold water to stop the cooking process. This leaves the asparagus bright in color with a little bit of a snap while still being cooked through. When roasting, be sure to coat in olive oil to prevent burning. And asparagus cooked in this manner will usually be done in about 20 to 25 minutes in a 400 degree Fahrenheit oven. Sauteing is, other, is also another popular method, which cooks the asparagus in roughly five to seven minutes. If you're short on time, sauteing might be the best method to go with. And if you have a little bit more time, you might want to try roasting or blanching. And then before we wrap up this episode of Traveling Taste Buds, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, asparagus pee. It's a real thing. Many people complain that after eating asparagus, any amount, they detect a foul odor in their urine, locally referred to as asparagus pee. It is believed to be caused by the metabolic breakdown of compounds in the asparagus. And while it seems most people produce it, not everyone can smell it, according to Marsha Pelshot of Monell Chemical Senses Center. A study found that 871 genetic alterations could be responsible for the ability to smell asparagus pee. This was done in a study where they had a whole bunch of people eat asparagus and then smell their urine. And some people could smell it, some people couldn't, uh, and some people could smell it in other people who couldn't smell the asparagus in their own urine. So it seems most people produce it, but not everyone can smell it, which is very interesting. Uh, it is believed that the likely culprit is one of three of these genetic alterations that change the shape of your smell receptors. It could still be any of the other genetic alterations or a combination of them. And scientists are still trying to determine exactly which is true. It is also believed that asparagusic acid is the cause of the smell because it contains sulfur compounds. But scientists aren't exactly sure how it changes in your digestive tract. 
the belief that compounds called fuels or captains, which smell like garlic or rotten eggs, could be part of the problem. So if you can't smell asparagus pee, I'm really sorry. You're not alone and there isn't any reason for alarm. It's a benign condition and mostly just an inconvenience. So don't let it stop you from enjoying this delicious and delightful vegetable. That was a lot to digest, I'm sure. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you feel full of new knowledge about asparagus and ready to try a recipe including it yourself. Please let me know if you have any questions or submit feedback in the reviews, or give Traveling Taste Buds a follow on Instagram at TravelingTastePod. Episodes will be bi-weekly from here on out, but I'll see you soon with a new dish and a new episode. Oh, thank you.